Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Thursday, September 21st. How's everybody doing? Hopefully, we're all surviving this NBA offseason. Uh, really did my best effort to uh, to get you guys an episode last week. Couldn't quite make it work. Uh, was doing a bit of traveling, went home for a wedding. Uh, shout out to the Hollenbecks fan. Beautiful ceremony. Uh, Jess and I had an awesome time there. Uh, so you can blame them for the lack of episodes last week. But I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think you guys missed it too much, just given the lack of NBA headlines that we've had. Because again, uh, we are in the dog days of the NBA offseason. But that being said, I'm starting to get pretty hyped. We're looking at a, a little over a month until NBA tip-off, which doesn't even feel real. It feels like football just started, but I certainly can't wait. But you can expect some consistent words with episode podcast episodes out between now and then to get you ready to go for the start of the season either way. But I do think we got a little bit of news last week that I'm pretty excited to talk to you about, and that is the new NBA player participation policy, which sounds like a load of shit. Uh, no one really knows exactly what that means just by saying that, but essentially it is the NBA's attempt to take a stab at load management and you know take on this problem in load management, which is arguably uh, the biggest problem that the NBA is dealing with right now. If you would ask the casual fan, uh, probably complaining about the number of games that star players misses, uh, that star players miss on a consistent basis, I should say. Uh, so the NBA took a stab at some rule changes to try to slow down and, and maybe stop entirely load management. So we're going to be going through those rule changes in just a little bit, and you guys can let me know if you think this policy is going to be effective. I will definitely give you my thoughts at the end. Uh, but before that, we did have a couple of quick headlines that I felt like might be worth mentioning uh, pertaining to a few different specific players in the NBA, the first of which is not a super fun thing to be discussing. Uh, and that is the Kevin Porter Jr. incident. Kevin Porter Jr. is a guard for the Houston Rockets. Um, and I, I just thought there was one pretty notable thing about this storyline. Uh, turns out that guy is uh, most likely a scumbag, it's looking like. Uh, apparently, he had some domestic abuse allegations by his uh, girlfriend or wife. I'm not entirely sure. I believe it's his girlfriend, uh, who also happens to be a, a current or former WNBA player herself. Uh, apparently, there was multiple reports and multiple incidents of, you know, Kevin Porter Jr., you know, essentially beating her up, which is absolutely terrible, and there is no room for that in the NBA or anywhere for that matter. Uh, but I thought the interesting thing about this storyline is that, to my knowledge, as of, again, uh, on September 21st, he hasn't been cut from the team yet, and the report was actually that the Rockets were looking to make a trade uh, to recoup some sort of assets for him now. I, I wouldn't imagine it's going to be some team trading for Kevin Porter Jr. It would probably be a situation where they have to, you know, attach some draft picks or some other assets along with Kevin Porter Jr. just to put them in more of a, you know, uh, a better cap situation or a better contract situation by being able to get some more versatile contracts in return for KPJ's contract. But I just wanted to say how how dumb I, I think that is. Like, first and foremost, like, it's just a horrible look PR-wise. Like, why do you want that player anywhere associated with your organization and hanging around after this comes out. Now, there is a legal process that they have to go through, and I'm sure there will be a, a he said, she said situation, which, 
you know, maybe the Rockets want to support their player until it is, you know, he's convicted of, of those, you know, such terrible accusations. I'm not sure. Uh, but if you are aware of this situation, just get rid of him. It is not worth the PR headache to have him attached to your team. And it's an even bigger PR nightmare for any team that'd be dumb enough to trade for them, even if they are getting some, like, a draft capital uh, attached to Kevin Porter Jr. in this situation. So I really hope this becomes a trend because whether we like it or not, there are going to be terrible incidents with how many players are in, you know, professional sports leagues, not just the NBA, where... Unfortunately, the, the sad reality is like we are going to have more situations like this as much as we would like to say that we won't. Um, and I, I just don't want this to becoming the norm. Like if a guy's a scumbag and, and hits his girlfriend or, or does some terrible crime, like he shouldn't be any any part of that team. Like he would get fired from a, a nine to five job if this was the case and he should get fired from his NBA franchise. They shouldn't mess around with trying to seek trade compensation for him. So I did just want to get that off my chest. And, you know, especially when you think about like they're the Houston Rockets. All right. They're not going to win anything anyway. They're not contending for anything. They don't have to be really strategic. And like this, this Kevin Porter Jr. incident sets them back. They might be a, a better team without the guy anyway. So just cut your losses, move on. Good riddance to him. Moving on to a little bit more of a uh, fun and light storyline to talk about. It is uh, Giannis, right? Giannis was in some headlines uh, basically, I, I think, today, maybe yesterday as well. Um, may basically because he had a quote that came out and said, uh, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase Giannis here, but he, he wants to win, right? He basically was saying if the Bucks are not contending for a championship after this season, he would then start to think about his future and consider the idea of playing for a different franchise. Now, I just wanted to kind of nip this in the butt right away that I think this is kind of a complete non-story. You know, we've seen this over the years with many different stars, and Giannis is certainly not the first one to step up, not, not the first star player to apply some sort of pressure on his front office, right? You've seen LeBron do it basically every single stint of his career, um, and, you know, I'm sure people have mixed feelings about it, but I just think it just shows how competitive Giannis is. Like, he doesn't want to just, you know, cash his checks. He's not fine with just being a, a poster boy for the league and really an international superstar. No, he wants to continue to contend for NBA championships. He's not content just because he already won one. And I think he's just doing a little bit of healthy applying pressure to the Bucks, right? And for those that don't know, he's under contract for this season. He's under contract for next season. And then after the next season, which is what, the 2024-2025 NBA season, he does have a player option for the 25-26 season, um, which is for like $60 million or something like that, right? It's insane. Uh, I think he's going to be worth any every penny because he is one of the top two players in the entire world, in my opinion. That being said, we still have a ways to go before we even get to that point, right? Like, the, we all know that the Bucks are the oldest team in the NBA, um, and, you know, it, it kind of limits their ability because they are all in right now, right? It, obviously, they'd love to get younger, but at the same time, their concern is not getting younger. Their concern is, you know, putting a, a competing and contending team around Giannis to the best of their abilities. And for the most part, older players are going to have slightly less, you know, trade value than younger players. So it is easier for them to continue to fortify their roster with older guys. And I would expect the Bucks to continue with that. I don't think that they're going to be trying any, you know, two timeline BS that the Warriors tried, obviously trying to have an influx of young talent to go along with their aging stars and Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, everything like that. The Bucks are not getting cute with it. They're going to learn from the mistakes of the Warriors. They're going to listen to what Giannis has to say, and they're going to continue to try to fortify their roster. So Giannis decides to opt in on that player option, or he signs a contract extension before it even gets to the point where he would be, you know, an unrestricted free agent, potentially in, in a little over two years. So uh, that was just kind of my thoughts on it. I know people are excited and, you know, there's reports of, oh, the Knicks are monitoring the Giannis situation and, you know, his happiness in Milwaukee because they might want to plan for him to, you know, hit free agency in two years. Like, 
go for it, man. All 29 other teams in the NBA should be monitoring the Giannis situation because when there is a player that is top one or two in the entire world that might want to play for a different franchise, it would be malpractice to not at least do your due diligence and inquire if you would be a team that could you know, sign him or trade for him or anything like that if he were to become unhappy. So again, I think he's just applying a little bit of healthy pressure to Bucks management. I don't have any problem with it. And I think it's a non-story, and I think if this happened any other time of the year, we would be paying even less attention to it. But it is, frankly, the only NBA storyline we've had in the past few weeks that is not pertaining to this new player participation policy. And on that, let's talk about it, right? This is, again, the load management rule change, the new NBA player participation policy. And before I go through all the rules, I just wanted to shut out the article that this was posted in. This is all from Bobby Marks of ESPN. He did a fantastic job putting together this article, going through all the league changes, some examples of how these you know changes might apply, um, you know, basically some exceptions to these rules as well that we will get to in a little bit. But Bobby did a great article, and he actually had a 16-minute YouTube video to go along with it if you want to hear him explain it instead of me but you guys are already here right so you might as well listen to me oh for those watching on youtube we have nancy in the background uh this is new hopefully you guys enjoy that uh that's my cat nancy anyways we're locking back in on the player participation policy so yeah shout out bobby marks i'll retweet the video i will retweet the article if you guys want to get it straight from the source but i'm just going to kind of give you the spark notes of these rule changes and give you my opinion on all of it so this player participation policy focuses mainly on the availability of star players. And so the most important thing about this whole policy potentially is what defines a star in, in, in the, this particular policy. And the NBA defines a star as a player who has been on an all-star team or an all-NBA team in any of the past three seasons. So altogether, I think it's a list of around 50 players that are affected by this. So Again, let's just immediately eliminate, you know, I, I would say what, like at least 10, 10 to 15 teams in the NBA that don't have a star player within the last three years. Like, you know, for example, a team like San Antonio that just has, you know, you could argue a star player in Victor Wembanyama before he even plays his first real NBA minutes that people are going to be paying hand over foot to see him play. He's not going to be considered a star until assuming he makes an, an all-star team in February in which this list would get updated and that those new batch of players would be eligible for it. So uh, I'm just going to answer one question right there. Yes, new star players will be getting added as a, you know, make an all-NBA team, as a make an all-star team. But there are still a, a bunch of teams out there that don't even have a star player currently. So again, they are just focused on the star players for this player participation policy. So, you know, obviously those guys that are real diehard fans out there and they pay money to see a Celtics game and they really want to see Derek White out there and, and they don't know that he's resting, well, they can blame the new policy, right? Because it is only taking aim at the stars. I don't know how many people out there are paying a lot of money to see uh, some of these players that don't classify as stars, but I just wanted to make a quick mention of that. Now, the policy itself comes down to five core rules, okay? And we're just going to go through them. I'll try to go through them slow and explain them the best of my abilities. But the first rule is that no more than one star player is unavailable for the same game. Now, again, this rule only affects the handful of teams that have multiple stars on their roster. So think Boston Celtics with Tatum and Brown. Think the Phoenix Suns with Beal and Booker and Durant. Think the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You know, so again, this rule only applies to those teams with multiple stars. But under this new player policy, they cannot have both of your star players resting in the same game or any more than one star player resting in the same game for that matter. Moving on to rule number two, 
Teams must ensure that star players are available for national TV games and in-season tournament games. So again, uh, this is no surprise. You know, they, the NBA is not foolish. They know where the money is coming from. It's coming from these massive national TV deals. Uh, obviously, the in-season tournament they're trying to promote and have people take that seriously as well. So that is included in that as well. Uh, but again, teams must ensure that star players are available. So there is going to be no resting of star players in national TV games or in-season tournament games unless they are obviously actually hurt or it is an extenuating circumstance that we will get to at the end of this. Rule number three. Now, this one is arguably the most confusing of all the rules, but we'll touch on it quickly. It is that teams must maintain a balance between the number of one-game absences for a star player in home games and road games, but there's a caveat, with a preference for those absences to happen in home games. Uh, so I think that that is basically saying that, like, look, if you are a fan, uh, if you're someone like me, right, and I happen to live outside of Dallas, Texas, so the closest, you know, arena to me to watch my favorite team would be when the Celtics come into town and they play the Mavericks. There's a preference that, hey, if, if, if I'm a fan that is only buying tickets to one game a year and it's to the Boston Celtics game, you know, it's pretty safe to assume that that fan wants to see some of the stars in the Celtics and they would prefer to see those stars because there's going to be, you know, 40 other chances throughout the year for me to see guys like Luka Doncic, but there's only going to be one, maybe two chances for me to see Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown when they are in Dallas. So there's a preferences uh, for those absences to happen in home games. So again, I think that's kind of a throwaway rule. If I had to pick one uh, that teams must maintain a balance between one game absences for a star player in home games and road games. So they don't want a team, you know, a player only missing road games or only missing home games. Uh, they do prefer there to be a balance and they would prefer uh, for those absences to happen in the home games. So moving on to the fourth rule, and it is that teams must refrain from any long-term shutdown or near shutdown when a player stops, stops participating in games or plays in a materially reduced role in circumstances affecting the integrity of the game. That one was a mouthful. Uh, I can't imagine any of you retain that, so I'm just going to repeat that one more time. Teams must refrain from any long-term shutdown or near shutdown unless the player's actually hurt is basically what that means, right? So I think the most obvious example of that is, is what the Blazers did with Dame Lillard to end the season, right? I think he had, like, what, like, knee soreness, ankle soreness, I don't know, some shit like that when they were tanking toward the end of the season trying to lower uh, their, you know, get as many lottery balls as possible for the number one pick they were trying to increase their draft odds they had nothing to play for they were already eliminated from postseason contention uh so they basically sat to aim out they are trying to uh remove that moving forward so they don't have a, a long-term shutdown of star players moving forward and finally the fifth and final main rule of this new policy is that teams must ensure that healthy star players that are resting for a game are present and visible to fans. So this one's actually not a new rule. That was, you know, pre -ex already existing rule and and previous uh, player participation policies. I think they were branded a little bit differently. But basically, if you go to a game where Jason Tatum is resting, you still get to see him as a fan, you know, sitting the bench in street clothes, provided he is resting that game and not hurt, right? He doesn't have to necessarily be there if he's hurt. But if he's just resting that game, you get to see him, you know, rocking some, you know, fresh-ass fit on the sidelines, right? So I know you guys care about that. You get to see Anthony Davis, street clothes Davis, uh, living up to his namesake on the sideline, wearing a, wearing a nice fit. Uh, so you can take some solace in that, I suppose, if you go to a game in which the star players are resting. So that's about it, right? Again, just running through it one more time. Not more than one star player is unavailable for the same game. Uh, number two, teams must ensure that star players are available for national TV games and in-season tournament games. So obviously putting priority on having stars play in those games must maintain a balance between the number of one-game absences for a star player in home and away games. Uh, number four, teams must refrain from any long-term shutdown. 
Uh, and number five, healthy players must be uh, present for games in which they are resting. So now I would love to just cut it at that and give you my thoughts, but I do have a couple more rule exceptions that we have to go through, right? They, you know, again, this one thing that I should have noted before, but like this, this is happening, right? This doesn't have to get voted in and approved by the players association. They, they're not going to take a vote to this and have it get shut down. No, this is happening. This is coming directly from the league office. They can kind of rule with an iron fist for these changes, if you will. And they can just make sure that these are uh, put into effect right away. So I just wanted to make nip that in the butt. Like, oh, that'd be, this sounds nice if it actually happens. No, it will happen. That being said, there are a fair amount of exceptions that I need to run through. Um, basically, the league is going to pre-approve designated back-to-back -back allowances for players that are 35 years old, uh, or they have over 34,000 career minutes, or, you know, basically making an exception for old, old guys in this situation, and old stars for that matter. So it's really just like a list of like a handful of guys, like Steph is on this list, LeBron is on this list, weirdly, uh, Mike Conley makes this list as well, right? Those are just a few names of players that come to mind. Um, so they will allow pre-approval on designated back-to-back -back allowances for old guys, essentially is what that comes down to. So again, this they would need to get this pre-approved, I believe, like a week in advance, uh, but they can put in like, hey, we have Steph. Steph is very old. You know, the Warriors, we play the Hornets one night, and then we play the Blazers the next night. Um, you know, can we get pre-approval to have him sit out that Blazers game? That would be something that the Warriors could submit to the league office as long as they do so uh, within the timeframes of that exception. Uh, moving on, there's approval for a star player to be unavailable for one end of back-to-back -back games based on the player's prior or unusual injury history. Uh, if you ask me, that's basically the Kawhi rule, right? You know, again, prior or unusual history that, you know, basically makes them exempt from back-to-backs. That's Kawhi, right? We talked about this when we had Darian on the podcast last month. Um, he has a degenerative knee uh, situation going on, so it's, it's most likely that he will get approval for that because it, it seems like if anyone... If load management is necessary for anyone, it's probably Kawhi Leonard, so there is a rule in place for that. Um, obviously, they allow you know multiple absences for bona fide injury. I don't know why that they mention that as an exception. If a guy's hurt, he can miss multiple games like no shit. Uh, that's just kind of common sense. Uh, personal reasons, there are still approved absences for personal reasons. Obviously, these guys are human beings. They have lives. They have families. Uh, they have things going on outside of basketball that, that do take priority, so I think that makes sense. They also mention here rare and unusual circumstances. Um, they did mention as well roster management of uh, unavailable star players. I'm honestly not entirely sure of what that means. Um, and, and they also mentioned that along with end of season flexibility. So there are going to be unique situations where if, if teams get it pre-approved, like let's say we're at you know the, the start of April and it's the, the very end of the regular season and the Celtics have already clinched the one seed in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to knock on wood right now after saying that. I'd love for them to be the one seed. We're just going to... Hopefully you guys could hear that on the mic. Uh, knock on wood, let's say that they're in that situation. They have a, a final regular season game uh, scheduled against the Hornets, right? Uh, and they want to rest both Tatum and Brown because they are playing for absolutely nothing. Um, in that situation, they could get that pre-approved to have both stars missed without being fined and whatnot. So that is all the exceptions as well. Now... I want to kind of give you my thoughts on it, but I am going to have you wait because I want to kind of do a, a side tangent here on the effectiveness of load management as a whole, right? So that's kind of the policy that they're putting in place for load management. They have these five rules. They have a list of exceptions, 
But like, what what are they really trying to fight with this, right? Obviously, we've had you know star players have been playing in less games than ever before. Uh, players have been consistently rested on the second set of back to back games, or at least one of the back to back games because they don't want star players you know playing in that. Because in general, as we've seen, the regular season has become less and less important. Whether it's with the inclusion of the play in tournament, whether it's just how we've seen the results of how things have shaken out in the playoffs themselves, you know, players are trying to be smarter and teams are trying to be smarter about resting their stars. So. You know, what is the data that supports like, hey, if Steph Curry plays in, you know, 60 games instead of 75 games, you know, how much more likely is it that he's going to be healthy when it matters the most or that he is going to be 100% and a healthier version of himself when it comes down to nut crunch time and between April and June? What is the data that supports that load management will actually make it less likely that these players are hurt? And to be honest with you, I don't know if it's because of its a small sample size, and this phenomenon has only been going on for, you know, roughly 10 years or so, I'd say, when we can really point to when this picked up. But there isn't a ton of data that that points to that, right? Um, we don't really have a ton of data that says, like, hey, you know, these players that were rested, because, again, I just don't think the sample size is long enough, you know, for me to really report back to that uh, with that for you guys, right? Like, I was doing a ton of research. I was looking up a bunch of different articles on the effectiveness of load management. And honestly, I found really nothing outside of like the common sense argument of like, hey, there is a statistical probability of getting injured each and every game. And when you reduce the number of games and, you know, people are going 20% at practices to begin with, and they're probably not going to get hurt there, that like, hey, it's just, you know, each game is a risk. And by reducing the number of games, you're reducing the overall risk. Like, that's not an article. That's not a stat. That's just, that's just common sense that I'm presenting to you, right? Like, you guys are probably listening to this being like, yeah, no shit, Nick. But I just, that's really all I have for you in terms of what measures the effectiveness of load management because it hasn't been long and uh, rounded long enough for us to have uh, smart enough people to measure all this stuff and whatnot. So I do think it's interesting to note, too, that I was reading this article by The Athletic that came out in March um, on load management. I would mention the author's name, but it was actually written by a bunch of different writers. Essentially, they put together this quote that I wanted to read. Of the 15 seasons Michael Jordan played, he logged at least 78 regular season games in 12. In 12 of those seasons. So 12 out of his 15 seasons, he played in at least 78 games. It's a lot of games for MJ. In Larry Bird, in nine of his 13 seasons, he was out there for 75 plus games. So again, Larry Bird, nine of his 13 seasons, he was in at least 75 games. Uh, Magic Johnson, uh, he was out there in eight of 13 seasons, he was out there 77 plus games. So those are just, you know, some cherry pick stats put together by three of the greatest players of all time to just kind of go out there and show like, hey. Load management for the, the cream of the crop guys back in the day did not exist. Like, we, we know it did not exist. It, it didn't really come along until, you know, I would say like 20, 20, between 2010 and 2015 is probably when it picked up. And obviously, it's gotten exponentially worse in the past couple of years since then. But, like, I just want to remind everybody that, like, this, this idea did not exist until, you know, 10 years ago, right? Obviously, there were always players that were injury prone. And there was always, you know, the chance that players would, you know, mail it in at the end of the season or, or rest maybe a late season game when they had everything locked up. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about load management as an issue of like, the problem is when these fans are buying tickets to the game uh, and, you know, the ticket prices are only going up. And when people are betting on these games, for example, it's really difficult to do either of those two things. Again, very different things. You know, families taking their children to see games and people betting on games. But regardless, there is there's a lack of knowledge of, of who is going to be actually present in these games. Like, are you buying you're buying Cavaliers tickets with the chance of not seeing Donovan Mitchell? Are you not going to know until you actually get to the arena that he's actually going to be resting that game? That is a an absolute nightmare for any person attending that game, for anybody betting on that game. And those are two 
you know, massive things that the NBA cares about a ton, right? They care about the well-being of their fans and people investing money into actually seeing these players in person. And they also care about gambling a ton, too, with how much money they're bringing in from the casino revenue as well. So I just wanted to explain that this policy, you know, this this phenomenon, if you will, it did not exist before the last 10 years. And, and it is a pretty big issue for the league to take on. And so all that being said, all that data presented to you, all these rule changes, what is what is my take on load management and the new player participation policy. Honestly, I think that this policy is not going to be very effective. Those rules that I just went over earlier, you know, in the, within the last 10 or so minutes, I do not believe are going to be very effective. I don't think that they are strict enough. I think there are far too many exceptions. And this might be a bit of a hot take, but I want to remind you guys that there was one other thing that the league did to combat load management that was not mentioned in this episode and was not mentioned in the player participation policy. And that is that they put it into effect a 65-game minimum for NBA players to be eligible for awards, whether those awards are MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Most Improved, Rookie of the Year, also the All-NBA team, the All-Defense the all team. All of those awards are given out with a new minimum of 65 games played. And a lot of people say players don't care about that. And maybe you're right. Maybe some do. Maybe some don't. But I do think we're maybe underestimating the ego of the players of some of the best athletes in the world that are absolutely at the peak of their craft. Like, you don't think they want to be recognized for their efforts. I know that they make millions and millions of dollars every year. And, and this policy and the changes to the awards don't necessarily affect how much money they're making. But I do think it is like these guys are also chasing legacy. And I think when you get to the top, the stars do care about that shit at the highest level. And if they're, you know, floating around that 65 game mark, I think that they would tough it up to to play in a couple more regular season games to assure that they're over their th that threshold. And, you know, for the Supermax contract, as long as there is a clause that players that make an all-NBA team within the past few seasons can get even more money, it, it actually increases their maximum earnings to receive a, a literal Supermax contract. As long as that clause is still a thing, and then the end, all-NBA teams do mean something. And I think that that one rule of putting in place those 65-game minimums on the awards matters because that was strict. The only exception to that 65-game rule is like, I think there's actually a weird exception where if players play in 62 games, but they suffer a season-ending injury, that they're still eligible. So maybe it's, it's 62 games in some situations. But still, that's one rule with one borderline exception, right? Like what I just read to you was, you know, five rules on the new PPP, the player participation policy. And I gave you like what, like six or seven exceptions. Like it just feels like they're trying to put, put forth this PPP policy to <laughs> this PPP. I should say PPP policy would be four piece. Uh, never mind. They're putting forth this policy basically just to say that they tried to do something. And now, look, it is better than nothing. Hopefully this is in the in you know the back of the mind of some of these teams. And I, I, again, I just think that the 65-game minimum was more effective. And this policy in general is just something the league is putting forth to say they tried to do something. I think another rule change that they didn't mention, and I think that this might be the most effective way to deal with load management and arresting, is just giving people more notice, right? I think the thing is like, obviously there's always gonna be people that get tickets to games like a month and a year in advance. And I I'm really kind of thinking about those people in this situation, right? Like, you know, it does stink for the season ticket holders too, right? But I, I really am the most concerned about like the families that only go to one or two game a year. Maybe they, you know, aren't earning a ton of money and can't afford, you know, to, to see their favorite team multiple times a year. Maybe um, this is just one big outing for like a, a birthday party or like a, a major event in somebody's life where they get to see these teams play. Or maybe they live, you know, 
four hours away from the arena and it's a massive force for them to even go and see their favorite team, right? So all those things in mind, I care about those people the most. And I think for them, having as much notice as physically possible uh, for players missing games for non-injury reasons would be effective. Like, I think the, the big thing that's missing, and I, I scanned this policy a few times over, is like, if you want to just rest a guy, like, you just want to straight up rest them. Like, we, we already have the, the full NBA schedule out right now. Like, you should have to apply to the league office and make it it has to be approved by the league office at least a week in advance of that game like and again you can still get screwed over for those people that buy tickets way in advance but at least you have a week to make alternate plans like you're taking you know your son to a warriors game because he's a steph curry mega fan at least you have a week to like sell the tickets or make a change of plans or whatever now you can still get screwed over if the guy you know twists an ankle or some shit like that, right? Like that's obviously going to happen. But I just want to reduce the number of times that a, a family is going to a game and they find out 24 hours in advance, or may, sometimes even less than that, that their son or daughter's favorite player is resting that game. And so I feel like a policy, uh, a rule, uh, you know, a policy, whatever you want to call it, that would be more effective than virtually that entire PPP policy or that entire PPP, I should say, is that just. If you want to rest a star player, you should have to get that approved by the league at least a week in advance so the fans and everyone betting on that game as well can can make accommodations for that. And so that's kind of my two cents on it. I know that maybe turned into a little bit of a rant at the end, but again, it is better than nothing. I don't want to sit here and be like all greedy, like, hey, you did this, but we, we could have done this, right? Like, I, I get it. I, I think there needed to be a, a big push from the league to put a fork in load, load management, but... In reality, it's a slippery slope, right? There's always the route, too, I didn't even touch upon, like, you know, if a guy is kind of faking an injury, right? Like, you know, we really don't know. These players don't know. Like, maybe they have something mental going on where they feel like they can't compete, right? Like, that's a slippery slope as well. Like, how do you prove that? Like, if a guy says his knee is sore, like, you know, are you putting the, the team doctor in jeopardy of losing his job if the league then investigates it? Like, hey, I don't think I don't think Paul George's knee was really sore. Like, I think he was just trying to rest that game. Like, we don't know. So, you know, you, you combine all that with this, like how much of a, of a you know, with, with the fact that players can be faking injuries and, and probably still have a little bit of leeway there. Like, how effective is this policy going to be? Like, I don't think it's going to be very effective. I don't think this policy is going to be the reason we notice a real difference in load management. I think the 65 game minimum for the awards will be the more effective push from the league this offseason to take down load, load management. Uh, and I also think that just giving you know people more notice, if you do want to rest a star player, uh, I think giving them more than a week's notice uh, would be the most beneficial way to, uh, if you're trying to, to care about the, the fans of the league and the families that are, are going out to these games. So that's my two cents on load management on the new player participation policy. You guys, let me know what you think, right? Uh, I think that just about does it for me for today, though. Uh, again, I apologize, apologize for not getting you guys an episode last week. This should be the last time I take more than one week absence uh, because we are less than a month away or about a month away, we'll say, from the from the NBA tip-off. I cannot wait. Uh, I am going to preview a couple episodes because I want you guys to hold me to this. What I'm thinking about doing for the next few episodes in no particular order, uh, maybe doing like a bold prediction episode of just like maybe five or ten uh, of bold predictions that I have for next NBA season. They can be about specific players. They can be about, you know, uh, specific teams over or underperforming, right? Who knows what that looks like? Maybe I can get a guest on for that. I'm also thinking about doing like a My Guys episode, like just an episode of like my favorite uh, 
underrated players, or maybe I'll just make it uh, my most underrated players in the NBA uh, segment episode. I think that would be great. I think we can also do like, you know, a regular like forecasting, right? Like maybe I can give my uh, my final four teams in the NBA. I don't want to do like a complete playoff bracket. That would be pretty redundant. Uh, but maybe I can do like my award predictions as well as like, you know, my final four predictions for the NBA. Uh, and that's about it. Those are kind of the ideas that I'm spitballing in my head trying to get you guys out a couple of those episodes. And honestly, that should take us right up to the start of the NBA season. So I got some good content planned for you guys. Hopefully we can grab some guests uh, some guests to execute uh, those ideas on a little bit of a higher level to get some back and forth there to get some alternating opinions. I think that could be a lot of fun. That's what I'm thinking. I've talked for way too long uh, for an episode where there wasn't a ton going on, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully you found the new rule changes interesting. Hopefully uh, this kind of changed the way you thought about a load management and the new policy uh, after giving you my opinion and kind of putting it all in perspective. But with that, I will shut up. I will let you guys go. Uh, before I let you go, be sure to follow at Words with Wallace on everything, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Music, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. We're basically all over social media as well. Be sure to like, review, share the show, tell a friend, and I will talk to you guys next week. I promise. Peace.